0: Following is a special presentation of the Benefit of the Dowd
1: Podcast.
2: From Chicago, it's the Doubting Thomas Podcast with Clifton Thomas and your host. welcome to what is technically the second episode of the second season of the Benefit of the Dowd podcast. I'm your host Adam Dowd and joining me is my usual co-host Clifton M. Thomas but also joining me is the editor-in-chief of Android Police, a veteran of over 10 years at that publication. He's basically been there longer than all of my podcasts combined and he is joining us today. David Ruddock, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me guys. It's uh, it's a lot of fun to have you and Cliff. I don't want to I don't want to move on without saying hello to you and, yeah, was and how so are you doing? Out. Well, you know it, we have a guest and he's more important than you, so that's kind of how we roll.
0: Well, it, it's becoming <laughs> a theme. I am so tired. I actually was up for twenty four hours and I'm drinking lots of caffeine. And we'll see how we are in about twenty minutes. <laughs>
2: That's going to be that's going to be fun. So, David did not sign up for that. Um what he did a sign up roller coaster
0: up for, ride, my friend.
1: Yeah, well, I'm yeah. all hopped up on Pedialyte. So, uh oh. ah, I saw that story. Oh. Yeah, not not fun.
2: <laughs> well, we should probably move on. Uh but no, uh so the reason David you're here is this is my podcast has been on hiatus and we're actually in the last week of that hiatus, I actually have to start working again next week, which is... Unfortunate. Uh, but uh, but anyway, so uh, the podcast has been on hiatus. Normally, this is the Doubting Thomas monthly recap where we recap everything that happened on the podcast over the last month, but <laughs> nothing happened. So um, what did happen was we had Google I.O., which is kind of a big deal. So that's why I wanted to have you come on and tell us all about it. And, um, and so that's where we're going to get started. I have a few other stories that I do want to touch on. If we have time, but I, uh, you know, Google I/O could conceivably take up like an entire hour, so I won't, um, I won't rule that out. But anyway, I wanted to start off, and I'm going to start off with you, David. What was your overall impression of Google I/O? And and I should caveat that by saying, when I talk about Google I.O., I'm pretty much talking about the uh, the keynote. <laughs> so I'm not a developer, so a lot of that other stuff kind of like glazes over my eyeballs. So what, what was your overall impression of Google I.O., what we saw and what we experienced and what we felt?
1: Well, I actually blacked out, so I do hope you guys have some filler prepped. But uh, <laughs> from what I remember... So, actually, this I.O., you know, obviously there wasn't an I.O. last year. Google canceled at the last minute. At first, they went like, oh, we're going to do a digital. And then they realized there's no way we're going to be able to put this together. And they canned it. And then they had a bunch of kind of piecemeal announcements they did over the course of months, which were really hard to amalgamate into a theme, actually. I think Google ended up postponing a lot of announcements and product plans last year. And I think, actually, that had one benefit, which was it got them a chance to kind of get their shit together collectively. And uh, decide what the theme of this year's show is going to be and also you know digital events do have one advantage over true live and per- even though this was a live broadcast um, they allow you to control the narrative much more tightly so oh, yeah. it's it's much harder to get sidetracked you know you've got presenters who know exactly what they're doing what their time limits are and you don't have you know there's no Q&A pesky journalists with their pesky questions you know you know <laughs> totally like, always it. getting in the way so that that was a big advantage they had this year but i think the theme this year was really one of of unity um across the google ecosystem and Mm -hmm. that was what i took away personally now i know that you know some other people had other thoughts about it but for me, what I saw was Google trying to assert or reassert its dominance over the many platforms in which it has its hands. So on Android, uh, that was really uh, encompassed to me in the Material U announcement, which was really about you know, saying, you know what, we're finally going to have this set of tools and themes for Android that define what Android is, looks, and feels like and it's not so much about, as I said in the post I wrote about this, it's not about Android being this canvas you paint upon, it's about it being this set of shapes and feelings and objects that you can pull and twist and shade, and then kind of make them your own, but that still look and feel and have that overall kind of language that is going to be familiar to anybody using an Android platform product, which... Might feel very similar to iOS um, in a way. It's a very kind of Apple concept. You also saw this with things like uh, the new Wear OS, which we haven't really seen yet outside of what are essentially design concepts. Um, yeah. You know, obviously Google is taking Fitbit, it's taking Tizen, and it's taking Wear OS, and it's putting them all together in one basket and saying this is the only way we can hope to take on Apple and Watch OS. This is the only <laughs> way this is going to work. And I think you know Google has a compelling case to make there, right? None of these companies are going to be able to do that on their own. None of them have been able to. Tizen has been a total disaster on third-party software support, even if Samsung does get some things really right um, Mm -hmm. with its wearable platform, especially on the hardware side. I think Samsung has been doing a good job differentiating there. Um, Fitbit obviously has advantages on the health tracking and fitness side. Um, Google has advantages in... I'll get back to you on that. But uh, (laughs) they... They did show... <laughs> yeah, I yes. guess um, yeah. that that would be one. But I, I I would say the assistant is really their wearable ace in the hole. Um, granted, mm-hmm. it stopped working for like basically a year on Wear OS smartwatches, and was, everybody's just like, well, I guess it's broken now. It was so just that's kind, kind of
0: acknowledged that whole time
1: too. Yeah, it really was. Uh, yeah. It was not a good situation. Granted, that would you people would have had to been using it to notice. So <laughs> that's
2: uh, true. It, it's, it's been a long a, time since I've had uh, since I've used I've had a Wear OS watch. I just haven't worn one in a right I probably get back to that but that is you know i was i was listening and i don't i don't want to cut you off because you're okay. kind of on a roll there but i was listening to the all about android podcast um talking about google io and they mentioned like on the one hand there was a lot of optimism um and you'll have to forgive me if i don't remember this because this was, was like into a three-hour ride this past week, uh, a three-hour bike ride this past weekend, so I might not have been thinking coherently at the time, but um, there was a lot of optimism about, like, hey, Google and Samsung are getting together and they're putting Fitbit into the mix and there's, this is the, you know, this is going to be great, whereas, like, and there was also, like, the other side of the coin, like, honestly, this is kind of what they have to do if they're going to make any type of inroads in the smartwatch space, like, this is almost like a last-ditch effort, and actually Now that I think about it, I know exactly where I was on this ride when I listened to that part. (laughs) Like, it's all just such a – anyway, I was very tired. Um, But anyway, so it's like this does kind of feel like, you know, like, well, Samsung isn't doing it. Google's not doing it. Fitbit's not doing it. Let's just put everything (laughs) together and see what happens. And so, like, which which side uh, do you think – is this an optimistic thing, like, where – Things are going to things are going to be great. Or is this kind of like a last ditch effort to finally unseat Apple? And I guess the follow up question to that is, will it work?
1: Yeah, I mean, it it is a bit like you're in the pizza parlor and you're figuring out you've got three ingredients left and you're just putting them all (laughs) on one pie and hoping it all works. Uh, It does definitely feel that way. That said, something's got to go in the oven. Uh, So I think that's where Google and Samsung and Fitbit are all at with their wearable products is they all have little things they can bring to the table. Whether or not those things come together as a palatable user experience whole other question uh hmm. and, and one that we're gonna have to wait and see i think this, it's gonna take don't a long really know time what it means either i mean you can no. say that you're
0: combining ties and and where os or sorry where now uh and and fitbits um the fitness expertise but i mean it was really just conceptual
1: yeah Exactly. I, I think that this is going to be much messier in practice. You know, obviously they want to make it look very pretty on the surface. And I think that what we've seen from the interface elements they showed off, Google is giving where the fresh coat of paint it so desperately needs. But mm. that's just one piece of the puzzle. The far bigger piece to me is somebody who is using an Apple Watch again. I picked up an iPhone 12 mini last week and I'm back in the back in the trenches with iOS. Um, <laughs> the third-party software integration on on watchOS is pretty strong. There aren't a whole lot of new developments happening there, but what does work works well. And Apple's first party software on watchOS is class leading. Um, There's just no way around it. And I think that that is a, that's a huge hill to surmount for Google and these guys. And I think that, how they do that is, I mean, it's a mystery to me. <laughs> I hope they come up with some good ideas, but there's there's definitely a lot of integration, I think, that needs to happen with Android, with Chrome OS, and with the new wearable platform, where Google needs to show a level of seriousness about ecosystem that, to date, it's really failed to do. Uh, Google has shown lip service to ecosystem with Chromebooks and Android and wearables together, but oftentimes those things come across as happening Because guess what? These are all totally different teams inside Google that really aren't communicating very well with each other and have totally different priorities. You know, their products simply aren't going after the same audiences and the the same functions. The Chrome OS team is concerned with the fact we're shipping, you know, tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of education laptops every year. Who do you think our primary concern is? It's not the people who have a Wear OS watch. You know, they're not high on our list. Whereas the Android team is like our primary concern are the hundreds of vendors. Shipping our operating system every year. They're not looking at Wear OS and saying, well, the Wear OS team, we've really got to make sure they're getting, you know, they're just, you know, they're just attention. So it's, it's a difficult thing. And I think that also gets to another area of ecosystem um, that I talked about in my post about IO. Which are two areas where Google has shown dominance. And actually, I don't think gets the credit for it. Uh, The first one is television. Google and Android TV have slowly taken over the world. Now, in the United States, it's easy to look at our bubble and say, oh, well, you've got Apple TV. You've got Roku. You've got Fire TV. And you're like, okay, there's a healthy competition going on here in America. Outside of America, that healthy competition really doesn't exist. It's Android TV or maybe Tizen. Like if you're buying a Samsung TV and LG's smart webOS things whatever they call it thin q <laughs> thing uh, other than that like everybody all these set top box providers in other countries they're choosing Android TV most of the tv manufacturers are choosing Android TV you know the the all the boxes are Android TV based like there that's really you know what's been a, it's actually been a huge success story for Google even if you don't like the software which i personally think it's okay it works Google's had a great success there because this is what Android does so well. It's so adaptable, especially globally. Android has been great for that because it supports so many languages. The Assistant works in so many regions now. It's a great way to be like, our TV supports voice controls that actually work right out of the box. And we don't have to do anything because it's all on the back end with Google. Just connect it to the internet and go. And we can pick the tiles we put on the front of it, which frankly is all they care about is TV manufacturers and cable providers mm. just want to put the content in front of you. So that's been a yeah. huge success for Google that is not often touted. The other one is cars. Now, as somebody who's, you know, actually I I started using CarPlay for the first time like 4 days ago. I've been very impressed by what Apple has done with CarPlay. I think Apple has gotten ahead of Android Auto in terms of functions and also mm. just usability of interface. I think it is much nicer. I think that it lets you multitask better. And I think that it just serves the the like like set of tasks you do in the car in a more pleasant way. Like, I, I mm. enjoy it. I use Android Auto all the time, and I feel confident when I say I like using CarPlay significantly more. That's interesting.
0: Uh, the last time I used CarPlay was a while ago, and... I thought at the time that Android Auto's experience was, um, at least it worked better for the ecosystem. Maybe it's because I'm so deep into Google's ecosystem. And so. So,
1: you know. I, the thing some people don't, like, understand is that, like, CarPlay now supports third-party apps. You can tell right. Siri, like, use Google Maps, and it uses Google Maps. Like, you don't mm. have to worry about that anymore. It just works. You do have to specify, which is in itself maybe a little annoying. You can't set a default, right? You know, that's that's welcome to Apple. but you, can tell you do it's, have to talk to Siri. You do, uh. but in the car, <laughs> that's not so bad, right? Because okay. the, the commands you're using are so basic. Right. You're telling sure, it to go sure. somewhere. You're telling it to listen to something thing or telling it to call someone those are really the three 99.99% of the time that's what you're doing in the car right right so But anyway, I'm sidetracking myself here. Google actually has been the sleeper success story in cars, and there are a few reasons for that. Number one, car makers realized like eight or nine years ago that Android was a great platform to build their infotainment experiences on because it's open source, and once that means you don't have to attribute it anywhere that matters. You don't have to say where you got it. Um, You don't have to put anybody else's brand in there. And so brands like Harman took Android and built experiences they then license to a bunch of car makers like hyundai and kia for example who have been using harman's system for a long time i don't know if it's still a harman based system they use but it's still android based and so they car makers like them and honda acura and a few others have been using android in this way for a long time google semi-officially sanctions this there are some guidelines they have for like semi-official automotive partners but a couple few years back they announced android automotive and at the time they didn't really say anything about it they're there's an Android for cars now. And everybody's like, what does that mean? And Google's like, we're not really saying at this point, but it's a thing. And we're going <laughs> to hold it. About it. We're going to hold manufacturers <laughs> to a set of standards, as we do with all of our Android platforms. But... What happens, you have to remember, the automotive industry doesn't just move slowly. It is positively glacial in terms of product development because oh, the sure. vehicles, at a minimum, you're looking at a five-year product life cycle, but probably 7, 10, or even 12 years for a lot of these cars. So you have yeah. to plan things way out in advance to make sure your supply chain works and make sure your product dev lines up with supply chain and manufacturing. It's fairly complicated stuff, <laughs> you know, as you can imagine. Android yeah. auto. Motive though has emerged the clear winner um, ahead of every other platform. Now Ford will use them, GM will use them, Stellantis, which includes the Fiat Chrysler Group and the Peugeot, Peugeot Group, um, will use them, and, and with Nissan those
0: or, um, and um, I'm sorry, and Mitsubishi now too, right?
1: Yes, yes. So there are a number of partners on board with it now, and that list is only going to grow. But with those three major auto groups, they have the lion's share of all cars sold in the United States already, and a ton globally as well. These brands are huge globally. And that to me is like, you, you can't even begin to explain how much negotiating coordination it took to pull that off to win those deals. Those are big commitments. And you know yeah. how many of those commitments Apple has? None, at least <laughs> none that are public. And guess what? That's that's massive. And so Google has very quietly asserted itself in that space. I've used Android automotive, I think, as a platform, as a canvas, which is what I would describe automotive as. Automotive is a canvas automakers paint on because automakers want things to look like their brand, their experience. It is yeah. ours. But- they also want Google Assistant. They want Google Maps. They want those services that car that car buyers are going to expect like a mapping solution they can talk to that will just take them the places they need to go, find a charging station, find a gas station, tell them the fastest route, let them know if there's a speed trap um, you know work yeah. with their music services, keep their accounts synced up, work with their smart home stuff, all that kind of stuff and automakers are only going to value this more as time goes on. So that, to me, is an area where they've really, really quietly become the big player, and I don't think anybody really saw that coming. I've talked to the Android Automotive guys for years at, like, MWC, and it was always like, we have a lot more to share, don't worry. (laughs) And after a while, I'm like, okay, I actually believe you guys. um, And with that, I think... That's the kind of the big takeaway for me from IO, was that Google is showing us piece by piece by piece, don't worry, we are getting our ducks in a row here. There is a best Android for phones, there's a best Android for cars, there's a best Android for wearables, there's a best Android for TVs. Now, the question is, can they wrap all this together successfully, unify it with hardware, and then make it all play nicely together in ways where you're like, oh, That just works with this because I already have that, which is kind of the feeling you get with Apple products, right? So pulling all that together is obviously Google's goal, whether they accomplish that. Again, wholly separate issue. But to me, it showed a level of seriousness about it that I don't think we've seen before. That's awesome. I
2: mean – I. And uh, and honestly, this is going to be the easiest podcast I've ever had to edit because I just have to put on David's feed and go. And this is going to be great. I, but no, I mean, you, you, you honestly, you you had a, you had a lot to say, and it all made makes perfect sense. And honestly, that's more than I got out of Google IO because honestly, like I said, my my eyes glazed over over like half of it. Like lambda, I, I know how to spell lambda, but I mean, I, not I, a lot of wanna... it was
1: pretty pretty boring. <laughs> yeah, I
2: mean, do I need to talk to a paper airplane? I'm not sure that I do. But uh but no, like it, it it was really good to get that kind of I'm so glad you're here because it was really great to uh get that get all that insight, you know, put into a nice neat little package. It's almost I'm like you do this for a living, up. David. Mm-hmm. I'm it's really weird, but um all right, so now Cliff, um I want to get uh, kind of your impressions of Google I/O and what you took away from it even though you have not the slightest cha- prayer of uh, measuring up to what David just did. So yeah, no. go for it.
0: No, I, I don't think I can take all those disparate <laughs> parts and put it into one nice little. It, it almost felt like an essay. <laughs> the way I used to write it in college. Almost as though I wrote a, your... an
1: article about it. <laughs> almost, almost.
0: So yeah, I, I think. And and I, and I all I watched was just the keynote. Mm-hmm. All well, this was technically my first year attending Google IO. Thanks Google for making it free.
2: <laughs> um, True story. Yeah, it was.
0: It was. It was definitely a nice narrative. Um, it was easy to, as far as uh, watching the keynote. Yeah, like you were saying, to have your eyes glaze over, and um, I think what David said is ab- absolutely correct. That it was. It was. Putting into place and and better explaining things that they have been working on uh, that we really haven't seen. Things like uh, Android Automotive, um, what we're doing with Wear OS, because there have been questions about that for three years. Um, I the continuance of development of uh, of uh, Android and and uh, making it, I guess, a little more uh, homogenized. Yeah, and and giving while still giving uh, OEMs the tools they need to. Uh, customize it themselves but then wrapping it all together to say this is where we're going but I I think that the common thing really was AI and the assistant throughout the entire thing because that's i guess maybe that's the only thing bringing them together in the end
2: yeah it's well yeah and and you know obviously that's that's one area where google is also excelling is in the department of ai now i want to uh, kind of transition back to more of like the you know what the consumers are going to be dealing with and right off the bat you've got android 12 which they introduced um the material u concept which is a, a a pretty major renovation over what has been done before some have said that it's the biggest re- renovation of android yet and i i still got to agree that uh that uh the material design 1.0 i guess was was a much bigger deal because that kind of brought everything into like a cohesive whole whereas material u is more actually about you know taking that cohesive whole and making it more about you know you to to go with the phrase now <laughs> Personally, I am not a big UI guy. Like, I'm not... I I don't get really excited over, like, UI changes. Like, oh, this button's going to be bigger. Yay? Um, you know, there were some really badass stuff that I saw in there. Like, the, uh, the one thing that really stands out, even to this day, is the software pseudo-privacy shutter buttons that you're going to get for your camera and your microphone, just shutting that down. Um... And so, like, like that's that's one thing that, like, uh, kind of made me raise my eyebrows a little bit. But for a lot of the Material You stuff, and I want to start with you, Cliff, because you're the designer here, um, What were, how were you feeling about the Material You re- redesign, the relook of Android 12?
0: So I haven't had a chance to use it hands-on. I, I threw it on my Pixel 4a 5G because I had the luxury of it not being my only phone. Right. Um, I mean the the core of it still feels like Android if you've used Android before, mm-hmm. y- you won't feel lost. Um it's uh you know, I'm always hesitant to, to comment too much because this is just the just the first beta. Sure. And so I think a lot of things that we see will, will either be toned down or you might not even see uh um you know what? What they the things that you see in the first beta may be gone by the time it, it releases in September. Assuming that's when it does, I have to assume based on their cadence that that's what they're going to do. Um, I what well, the things that I'm liking um, are the, are things that they've added that just make it feel a little more consistent from app experience to app app experience. Things like the split the boot splash that you get where it creates one even if the developer hasn't added one. Okay, I shouldn't say boot, boot splash. I'm sorry, the the splash screen yeah. when you launch an app. Um, there are little animations that they've added um, that feel a little more polished uh, between things like swiping between your open apps, closing things. It just, it, I hate to say it because this, this is a little cliche, but it feels a little more iOS like, um, especially with the large radius rounded corners. Um, and the, there's a, there's a lot more white space. If you want to call it that, that I, I think um, again, just, just makes it feel, I guess more polished and it is nice. Um, that you can do theming, and even if it lets you do questionable theming, <laughs> not a fan of the stuff that's in there so far. Let's okay. see, you've got like a Samsung Squircle thing going on, an octagon, uh, and you can let's see the other the shape shape. The icon look kind of like the Duo and some of other things, so it's it's interesting. Yeah, um, I think it's um, it is a little uh, it's a little jarring when you, you know when you've switched from um, even Android eleven because it, it is a pretty big visual change, but it does. Still at its core feel like Android. So those are just a few of my thoughts, having used it for, uh, I guess, what was it, I guess it's been about a week.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm waiting for my OnePlus 9 Pro review to drop next week, then I'm going to install um uh android 12 beta onto that so i can get start getting used uh some use out have of it. Have they fixed
0: that yet so it doesn't break your
2: phone? <laughs> uh i believe they have actually i believe they okay. i believe they have I'll, I'll need to read up on that a little bit but uh and hey we've got uh we've got TCL phones coming in the not too distant future mm-hmm. and they will be supporting the beta as well which i thought was really cool. They had a, it seemed like they had a lot of manufacturers like on board for the for the beta like right at launch which you don't often see coming from uh coming from google um, yeah, one
0: thing I, I was wondering about real quickly with that, because I, I see a manufacturer like Samsung isn't on board with that. So I'm wondering, like, this is one of the where I forget all of the different um, uh, names that Android or that Google has for But the, uh, <laughs> yeah. the underlying file system where they can do um, Delta updates without having to do like a complete OS install. Is that what just makes it easier for them to do? Uh, an OS level update like that versus I, I know Samsung's Samsung still on the, old way of doing system-level updates. Maybe I'm completely no. no wrong you're that, You're right just... about
1: the Samsung not supporting seamless updates yet, and Google actually pushed right. back the requirement on that. I don't think it's required on Android 12. I think they pushed it to 13. Hmm. Don't quote me on that, but hmm. I know they pushed it back at least one version, and I guarantee Samsung was why, because Samsung was probably <laughs> like, yeah, we're not going to make that, guys. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I just... They've got such
0: deep level stuff, I think, with Knox that I think it makes them difficult for them to transition to that. That's always been my working theory that has no basis in reality except just
2: my <laughs> except based on <laughs> based on your observations, right? But
0: it, it just seems that the whole beta thing seems so awkward to me because you have some. They're working so closely with Samsung with Wear OS, um, and I know that Android or that uh, I think Samsung is contributing more and more to. Um, Android, as far as the uh, the open source part of it as well. So it's just weird for them to be a partner so close on one thing and then to not even offer the beta on their phones. And that's where I was kind of like, mm.
1: Samsung really yeah. likes to maintain this illusion that they are really the the proprietor of their software experience mm-hmm. and that Google is merely a partner and that One UI is its own operating system. And so they right. release One UI betas. They don't release Android betas. They're One UI betas. You know, Android it's is true. just an underlying platform. You have the whole Samsung experience um, right. there, you know, to really lean on. But I think there are probably some technical limitations there too. I think it probably right Knox plays into it to some extent. I couldn't speak to that technically. Um, You know, somebody like John Sawyer would probably be able to talk about that a lot better than I would. But I think that Samsung... You know, for for as slow as they have been historically with software updates, I think that they have gotten so much faster that them not participating in the Android betas, I think, at this point, is more about public image than it is about mm. technical limitation. I think mm. that they want absolute control, even over the beta software experience that they release. Samsung is a very you know to understand Samsung you have to understand a whole different culture around corporate um the corporate world that is unique Indeed. to Korea Uh, and how they view their products and how they view their control over them that is just so different than a lot of other companies out there. And I think to them it is much more about we will present the Samsung experience when the Samsung experience is ready to be presented, and we will not do it before then Um, versus we don't want to participate in the Android beta. So I think that's a big part of it. Also, Samsung is powerful enough that they can afford not to to. give a shit. (laughs) Yes, Exactly. Right. This is very yeah. true. Yeah.
2: And, well, and it's also and interesting. Especially
0: create support issues and things like that, even though there is a, and, you know, you're signing on to basically uh, blow away your warranty by doing that, I think. Yeah. But still, it's just something they don't even have to think about. So.
2: I think it's also interesting, like, how much, like, how many fingerprints, uh, you know, Samsung fingerprints you're starting to see in Android these days. Like, not only just the cooperation with Wear and, you know, not only the, um, um, but like even, you know, Google altering its messaging app on Samsung phones so that it looks more like mm. one UI so that Samsung can then adopt that as like the primary message. Now, I mean, it makes for a better consumer experience overall, but still there's, there's a lot of influence going both ways in that particular relationship. And it kind of makes you wonder, like, um, I mean, I don't want to use a crude reference, but it just, it kind of makes you wonder who, where, uh, and this is, this is actually kind of like a 80s dude reference but it makes you wonder who's wearing the pants on that family you know what i mean it kind of you know it kind of makes you wonder like you know who's i don't know like i I don't want to dig myself into any deeper a hole than i already am (laughs) in. um but it's just it's just it's interesting seeing like how involved samsung and google are getting with each other these days um you know considering you know samsung is far and away the biggest provider of android of of android phones and google is the one that's kind of supplying the the uh the building blocks for that. So, um David, while I have you here and you know, I think we can go ahead and transition away a, a little bit from android uh from from android beta. I want to talk about, you know, of Cliff actually he makes me look good cuz that's like his job but he 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 pointed out to me that you got to take a drive in um, an Android automotive car, the, the Polestar shoot, what Two, was it? I yeah, the Polestar 2 and uh, you got to drive with that for a day and you, you kind of wrote about that, that was back in August if I remember correctly but I wanted to, uh, in light of, you know, since we're all, talking about all things Google, I wanted to give you a chance to uh, kind of brag about that like neater neater, I got to drive that car or whatever uh-huh. um, you know, just talk about the
1: experience in general. I, I can. can brag even more actually um i did get Uh to i got i got i got a loaner for four days about two two weeks ago from polestar the great folks at polestar great pr team over there and honestly a great vehicle i can say uh overall as a vehicle enthusiast myself um, (laughs) i really enjoyed driving it Um, great ev definitely recommend you check one out if you are in the market for something and kind of the model 3 size class but Anyway, um, on the kind of subject of Android automotive and what that that kind of looks and feels like, because very few people have gotten to experience it at this point, um, you have to drive a Polestar 2 in order to see it. Um, Volvo will be coming out with a version of the XC4. 40, I want to say there will be a full EV that will also have Android automotive, but I believe that car was delayed. Um, don't quote me on that either, but I don't think it's out yet. Anyway, um, Android automotive is effectively a over the top layer in the car is the way you can think of it. So it doesn't run the can bus or anything. It's not responsible for like real time OS vehicle operations. That is all still handled by a proprietary software that sits sure. underneath automotive Android, you know, automotive is like I said, an OTT kind of system. So it controls the entire infotainment stack, essentially. Aside from the gauge cluster, the gauge cluster is still on the real-time operating system. But Android Automotive can project into the gauge cluster. Is the way to think of it. The way it technically works. So when you're looking at the central infotainment UI and in the central cluster or the uh, in the center stack of the Polestar 2, that is all Android Automotive all the time. So. How does that work? You sign into it with your Google account. There's a fairly clunky sign-in method right now. I don't like. Yeah, I it. read about that. I don't. <laughs> I don't enjoy it. Uh, Google says they're working on making it better, which is my way. Which to me read as we understand it's not very good, but we can't fix it right now. Um, you know, you can sign into Spotify. You can sign into YouTube Music, which obviously is linked to your Google account. Um, I think that the third-party app support is like. There will be more. Soon, the problem right now is that Android auto apps and Android automotive apps are not the same thing. Yeah, they're which they're built is on different tech. Amazingly confusing. So it's it's they're <laughs> still they're all Android apps, right? That's all Android. Mm-hmm. But the problem is the actual guidelines for developers and specifications are different. So Google actually announced at I O this year that they are going to unify those specs, so the developers will develop <laughs> once and depl- or develop once, deploy once for automotive and auto. So that problem okay. will theoretically go away. Um <laughs> and so you will be able to get things like Waze on your Android Automotive vehicle, which is not currently available. You just have Google Maps. So that's one thing. There are I, there are a total of 6 apps available for Android Automotive right now. Um mm. two of which I think are basically useless. Um, like they have iHeart Radio, I think, which I'm like, who uses that in 2021? But I'm guessing one of the OEMs was like, we really want a radio app, and Google's like, okay, let's go find a partner. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, and,
2: it, and if you're gonna go with the radio app, you may as well go with the uh, with one of the only podcasts that's ever been downloaded a billion times. Yeah, so,
0: yeah. <laughs> so I, I well, it is it is beneficial to them in a way because the Polestar 2 has such Limited uh, sales compared to something like the broader Volvo line, right? So it's—I don't want to say it's a rolling test bed, but it kind of is. But (laughs) it is, you know. I mean, isn't
1: everything? with Polestar (laughs) would not like that characterization, but it's—it's a rolling test bed for Google. I don't think it's rolling test bed for Polestar. I think Polestar has mostly got their stuff sorted out. Um, I didn't have any problems with the car at all. But um, on the Google side of things, I think the big questions people have are. How does this work with my phone? And in what way am I going to recognize this as Android? And the answers to both of those questions are relatively disappointing. So in terms (laughs) of the way it works with your phone, it can use your phone as a data connection once your in-car LTE subscription expires. Um, I don't know if it can use it as a wireless hotspot, but I believe if you plug in via USB, your phone will tether it as a data connection. So your car Hmm. still has data connectivity. So there's that. But otherwise, it's just like Bluetooth hands free. Like, you get all the same stuff you normally would. It does do text messages, obviously. Um, Mm -hmm. All the kind of basic stuff you would expect. Handles, phone calls. But other than that, the way you recognize it as Android to me is the way that Assistant works, which is assistant has pretty good control over the vehicle itself so you can like set the cabin temperature you can turn on the seat yeah. heaters um, you can what other vehicle commands does it do I think there are a few other more basic ones that can do yeah. but I saw
2: you do a recirc uh,
1: command and yes of, in, in the video you can turn on the air recirculation with the assistant okay. <laughs> which I mean I think
2: I'm speaking for everyone when I say thank God <laughs> yes. because I go by that thing it, it so. you know honestly Whoa. in
1: the four 4 days I spent with the car I did not use the assistant once for a single vehicle command because I'm just like why why would I um I set the air temperature <laughs> once I set my mirrors and I never touch any of that stuff almost ever again unless it likes it's also automated e- anyway. exactly like right. anyway otherwise you know Google Maps feels like Google Maps on Android which to me is the best thing about the whole car because you get proper Google Maps with updated POIs, live traffic, you get access to charging stations, which is like really good data. Google has far and away the best data on that stuff. Oh, yeah. You know, it integrates with the range of the car, which for an EV is important. So it'll tell you like, hey, this charge station's too far away from you to make it. That's not going to work. Um, It'll tell you like the route you've got like set is too far for you to make it on a charge. You need to charge in between. Um, Mm -hmm. So it is smart enough to understand that kind of stuff, which is is the That's sort of good. thing you would hope Google would be able to do with the data the car gives it. So right. this does get into other things where like it- it could be smarter yet, but the amount of data that the car gives Google is obviously limited because the car makers are very concerned about sharing data with Google. They do not want Google to amass enough data to build a better car than anyone else can build because they have all of the data now and they can say, hmm. oh yeah, yeah, we we figured all of this out. So there is definitely some push and pull there. And yeah. uh, I recall talking to Polestar, they were very adamant about like, there's no data sharing about about your driving habits and things like that. You know, we don't share any of that with Google, etc. So there's stuff that Google isn't getting that could be useful to you, like determining, like, this is how you typically drive. So, like, actually you can't make it there because you're kind of an asshole on the road. Right. (laughs) Um, You know, they can't (laughs) tell you that. Um, Otherwise, though, like, I would say the automotive experience is still – it's still growing. Google has some work to do. The assistant experience is largely seamless as long as you don't lose internet connectivity. You lose internet mm. connectivity, mm. you're you can do in-vehicle commands to control certain vehicle systems, and that's about it. Um,
2: that's about it.
1: Yeah. The voice processing does happen on car. It is using the actual CPU in the car mm. to process the voice commands. But mm-hmm. without internet connectivity, the assistant is is fairly. Like, limited in what it can do, which is something that did frustrate me um, a couple of times because I do I was doing my test drives in areas where cell connectivity did drop in and out and that is when I had the most number of issues with it thankfully yeah. in my four-day loner I didn't have a lot of the bugs I did during the press fleet launch last year in August which saw me signed out of accounts randomly um, songs Oof. would stop playing for no reason um, hmm. Google would misunderstand me completely on certain commands <laughs> like that stuff all went in a way. I think they ironed out most of it. And I heard from Polestar they would had several updates since then. So okay. I would say you won't feel like you're a beta tester driving this car because the infotainment is still so much smarter than what you get in most <laughs> cars. That said, right. it is fully touch-based, which to a lot of people like if you've not driven a Tesla especially, moving to a fully touch-based car system is like, you will feel like, I really wish I had some buttons um <laughs> for yeah, certain yeah. things like i you know to me there is the gold standard for climate control is a dial just twist absolutely twisting uh-huh. is the it's so natural it just works i don't understand why we've switched away from it but car makers <laughs> because like, the future well and also car makers just want fewer things that you can break off and snap yeah, exactly. and little fewer yeah. pieces is better for them you know
0: that's it's, yep, it's absolutely it's also if you're doing international vehicles, right. you know where you have to, right versus left. A few yep. things you have to mold and think about. Sure. And I watched a really funny. Uh, I, have you watched Terry Monroe live or Monroe live? I've,
1: I've watched some of his videos.
0: I watched his. Uh, I think it was his final wrap-up, but I, and also his initial uh, first drive with the uh, Polestar Two, and his experience with. Google Maps, or I'm sorry, with Android Automotive, and he was looking, where's my maps? I can't find them. It popped up and said, sign into your Google account in order to access your maps, but I don't want to sign into a Google <laughs> account. It's just, he was so old manning it, and I'm like, you know, for as smart of a guy as he is, it's just really funny to see people yeah. uh, deal with something that's so... Where it's so integrated into an ecosystem. It, like it says something that, that yeah. the
1: One Polestar, I live five minutes from Google, and the One Polestar 2 I've seen has an Android automotive sticker on the rear glass. It's literally an engineer on the team who has the car. <laughs> and it's like, well, that speaks to the current audience for the vehicle. Mm. Yeah,
2: um, so I want to ask two questions um, before we move away from this. Um, first question is: is how well does a Polestar talk to a paper airplane? No, I'm just kidding. I don't want to ask that question. No, I am kind of curious. Like uh, just because of like how dominant they are in the United States as 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 a whole, how does Android automotive work with iPhones? Uh, so- I think that's a I think that's a fairly relevant question. It is. You're right. <laughs> so, so
1: the I would say that if you use an iPhone, it won't work any worse with your phone. Um, the only mm-hmm. thing is the sign-in process is slightly clunkier yet. Um, Excellent. So you have to go through, I think, like a slightly uh, one additional layer of authentication because Google Sign-In on iOS is just like a little bit more involved um, yeah, than it's... it is on Android. So you might need like, well, I I don't want to speak to it because I haven't done it yet, but you can sign right. in. Otherwise, it should just work like any Bluetooth car device does. You, you wouldn't experience any weirdness. If you're signed into the Google app on your iPhone, it should just work. Like Google Maps should sync fine. YouTube Music okay. should sync fine. But obviously, like there is no Apple Music app for Android Automotive. There's no Apple Podcast right. app. There is no iMessage integration. Um, you would just get like normal SMS formatting. So there would hmm. be there would be issues there. Um, they wouldn't be serious issues, but it would just be like, well, the kind of things you would probably expect. Now, would a normal consumer like be unhappy with that experience compared to an Android phone? Honestly, I don't think they'd even notice. Like, I I, I really don't. So I think the integration is fine. And um, the car has a Qi charger, so it charges both of them just fine. And I think that, to me, is the nicest thing about it is I don't have to plug in my phone when I get in the car. I just put it on the little Qi pad, and I go. And that is, honestly, compared to Android Auto or CarPlay, a great advantage. I don't have to wait for the phone to do anything because the car's already doing it.
2: Nice. Nice. Okay. Awesome. So I, I do have a few things that I wanted to uh, – did you have – do either of you have any, like, final IO thoughts that you wanted to share before we – I do have, like, a, just a handful of, like, other kind of big news stories that happened over the month that I want to touch on just at least if briefly if we can. Um, but anyway, so I'll open the floor to you first, David. If you have any final thoughts on Google IO, um, now would be the time to share them. It's pronounced google Googlio. gotcha so yeah no anyway <laughs> okay so those are here your final thoughts i think that was a little bit of a wasted opportunity but we'll go with it clifton what about your that's final what's called a there? bunt yeah yeah
0: uh i will say it like this goes back to me having a hard time remembering all the different google projects but the
2: there was so many <laughs> person in person
0: experience uh with the 3d mapping of the, the other person's body across oh, yeah. the mirror
2: the um oh what was that called starline or something like that I, I
0: yeah I say? it yeah. had a it, it didn't have yeah. a name that was associated with the experience at all which
2: right <laughs> yeah
0: but it just it i don't know how it is to actually use it in person but the demonstrations and their nicely curated <laughs> video uh, uh looked very impressive and, and they said nice things about it so i i Would be curious to see how they how that actually gets integrated into. I know it's one of their like moonshot projects, (laughs) right? But it's a neat idea.
1: Yeah, I too look forward to poor man's (laughs) hollow (laughs) deck. Exactly. Very true. Very true. Uh, Yeah,
2: it it did look it did look really cool. I mean, you know, but you know, it it also. I want to say, didn't they say there was like. Like five thousand dollars worth of hardware on both ends of that, like just oh, to yes. just to like make it like it was insane. Like and you know, like if you want to talk to grandma, that's cool, but it's going to cost you. Uh, it's like but, it's uh, like
0: it's like a Holodeck and a Peloton mirror, oh, or yeah, not. There <laughs>
2: There you go. There you go. Computer, exit. um, No. So before we move on to our other topics, I do have to do some patron shout-outs. I appreciate you uh, putting up with this, David. But uh, anybody who is a patron at the $5 level or more gets a shout-out at every Doubting Thomas monthly recap. And, of course, we start off every uh, patron shout-out with the same person, Cliff, (laughs) who is for some reason still paying me to be on the show. (laughs) So... (laughs) So thank you very much, Cliff, and we've got uh, Fat Produce, or, uh, I, you know, I haven't made a decision whether I'm going to call him Fat Produce or Andrew Wallace, so I guess he gets a double this time, too. Um, but anyway, thank you very much, Andrew, and we have Johan Breske, we have Josh Stone, we have Michael Kepper, and, shit, Kepper or Keeper, I always forget. <laughs> This is a anyway, joke it's fine. It's fine. No, um, and we have Mike Hahn and Neil Wilson, Scott Brady, and Zachary Palmer. Thank you very much to all of you for contributing to the Patreon, which is awesome and helping to pay the bills around here. Actually, paying one very small bill, but still paying bills. I, I very much appreciate it. So, um, outside of the world of Googlio, um there was one announcement that we got at the beginning of the month which I honestly don't know how much time we should spend on this. I'm thinking maybe 30 seconds, but uh the Google is talking about doing a new entertainment hub that's going to in in the words of Android police make Android tablets suck less. Um <laughs> this is called um this is a new kind of like it's it's a side panel from what I saw it's going to replace the Google Discover on tablets and it's going to be called what is the name of it I'm I'm browsing and I can't I can't find the name of it. It was it's, Entertainment Space. I was going to say it's yes.
1: RPU Increaser. Actually, is the uh, the official name. Um, <laughs> I'm, just so rolls off the tongue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's um, not use that anymore. No, I uh, just mean this but, is this is just a better way for Google to yeah, make money on on the average uh, Android tablet user. Um, which let's be serious, um, the average Android tablet user is probably not a high information person. So
2: okay, that's fair. That's fair.
1: I mean, yeah. Uh, so like. D- now I, I, read, I read over the story
2: like two or three times just trying to figure out like what this was and kind of why. But like I didn't see anything about any type of like release schedule on this. Have you heard anything about that, David? Like d- when can we expect this to show up on Android tablets for the dozen or so people that own them?
1: Uh, whenever Walmart announces a new one because Walmart <laughs> is the launch partner. So oh, okay, that's, really? okay. that's like what you can expect. It's it's really gotcha. actually quite depressing overall. <laughs> this is a blatant cash grab. It is Google saying, you know what? I'm pretty sure we could make better rev share on people signing up for Disney Plus than showing them Google Discover articles. That is, yeah. That's literally the play here. And YouTube oh. TV mm. and YouTube Premium and Netflix and everything else. That's all it's about <laughs> is turning your Android tablet into a Google TV home screen. That's See, I mean, pretty and, much what and, it is.
2: I would like to see some type of integration between like an entertainment space and you know the chromecast with google t v on it like you know so that whatever's here automatically shows up here and it's like some kind of nice tightly i don't believe that google's going to do that at no. least not not to begin with <laughs> um, you know, but like that would be really nice to see like and this is exactly what we were talking about with google i o Um, was, you know, Google trying to like get all these things to kind of work together. This is like, this seems like such low-hanging fruit. (laughs) It does. um, Conceptually, uh,
0: it doesn't sound that different from what they're doing with, um, oh, what is their new, oh, well, it's the Google TV app uh, for Android or with, I'm sorry, or Google TV itself where they're they're putting featured content in front of you. It's just on tablets.
1: Yep. 100%. 100%. So. This is a featured dis- content. It is just a money grab. And, and yeah. sadly, that speaks to, I would say, the kind of the competing interests inside Google, um, which are the the interest of the viable business <laughs> arm of Google, <laughs> and then the aspirational kind of user experience arm. And the fact that guess guess who wins every fight? Um, and you know what? This is a wonderful way to segue
2: over into another story that kind of came out this month. And and David, I'm sorry, I do have to kind of knock you down a peg a little bit. Feel free. I, I love it. I live for it. Samsung released its Galaxy Upcycling program. Uh, it was actually like towards the end of last month. But I was the I am the author, and as far as I know, this is still true. I am the author of the only... Step-by-step instructional web web page that shows you how to actually turn on Samsung Galaxy upcycling, <laughs> and that includes Samsung.com, by the way. <laughs> so, because I was I was given this assignment by, from Android Central. I'm the like, trick oh, Samsung doesn't want you to
1: know. <laughs>
2: no, seriously. Like, yeah. so, like, the, my workflow is: I have a full-time day job, and then, like, I have these, you know, assignments from you know a couple of other outlets that i these are this is my nights and weekends work and so like i sat down with this galaxy upcycling thing the night before it was due because i'm like how long could this possibly take and so like i read article after article after article from publications from probably android police i don't remember if i specifically looked at that site or not but the verge cnet tom's guide every like even samsung.com all of which were saying here's how to turn your old Samsung phone into a galaxy into a sensor not one of them had freaking step-by-step instructions on how to do this every single one of them said well you use smart things lab from smart from the smart things app where the hell is the smart lab smart labs th- th- thing in this app and, and like even then you have to like there's oh anyway Adam, so, how long have you been holding on to this and <laughs> <laughs> The article published about a week and a half ago, so about that long. Um, anyway, so today the reason, the only reason I'm talking about this is because today we got a post from iFixit talking about like the dramatic reinvention of the Galaxy upcycling program from the time that it was announced, which was back in 2000. 17 yeah 2017 until today like samsung first talked about this for almost you know almost four years ago when they said we're gonna help you turn your old phones into you know usable things and you can use like your sensors and stuff like that you know you've got an old crappy phone laying around you can use that as a as a baby monitor or some crap like that and then like And iFixit was like, that sounds great. Let's do that. Because iFixit is all about, you know, keeping, you know, know, reducing e-waste and, you know, keeping stuff active. And so Samsung said, we're going to unlock bootloaders and we're going to let you do anything you want to these things. And you're going to be able to do thousands of things with these phones. Then this year, Samsung actually came out with the program and said, okay, so... It needs to be a Galaxy S9 or above and you can turn it into a dog barking monitor or a light sensor and that's it. <laughs> and like everyone's like Yeah <laughs> and 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 so that's that's kind of what happens so basically, not only are you not using like super old phones that are like gathering dust on your shelf the galaxy s nine is still a legitimately decent phone today like you could get away with using that as an you know as a phone um so not only are they requiring like fairly new devices they're also requiring that you have a um uh, a samsung device to activate because you have to scan a QR code from the new device, but you can only get to that QR code if you're using a, Sam dev- a Samsung device or if you go to AndroidCentral.com and look at my article because I put a screenshot of the QR code on there. Um, but anyway, um, so basically the, the gist of it is, is iFixit was very angry that that Samsung you know, put out this whole deal with their logo on it, like, you know, saying, Hey, I fix it, endorses us, yada, yada, yada. And then it, t- it kind of turned into like a bait and switch, mainly because Samsung couldn't figure out how to make money out of an upcycling program unless they had like some kind of super smart things tie in. And boy, that was a lot of words just to introduce that. <laughs> that Adam, topic. you ready for it? So, yeah, go for it. Hit me. Oh, send me send me a high quality of that so I can put that. this is like the, um, Nike offering thing.
1: to upcycle shoes to orphans. It's just it was never going to work. <laughs> I don't believe right. it. I never believed it. I never will believe it.
2: I just thought I just thought it was funny that like Samsung went from this like. Total altruistic, like we really genuinely care about the environment, and we want to make sure that we're not we're not just throwing away legions of smartphones after their two year contract is off. And that went to how do we make money off of that? And then they said, okay, now forget all that. We're going to do this instead.
1: Yeah, I, it's I, more I like I just. Can you imagine your Air Force One is now a hat? <laughs> <What>? <laughs>
2: Uh, well, that's good, that's good, and for not that just topic. a hat, but a silly hat. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's move on, um, and, and I think we only have really time for one more article, uh, one more actually pair of articles. But I really want to talk about this because I'm kind of passionate about it. But this month saw the first Starlink uh, reviews coming out. Starlink is the uh, internet broadband service that Elon Musk is providing through SpaceX with the uh, I what are they up to? Like a thousand satellites now that are like spinning around the globe at 90 minutes per uh, per revolution? Yeah, and they're I don't know. Elon's down. got a lot of shit in space. He does, he does. Um <laughs> Literally. In, including an extra car go figure. Um, but anyway, so but I just thought it was interesting that we were starting to see the Starlink reviews coming out. We had one from Android Central, we had one from The Verge, the one from Android Central is just like I, I have to say, um, the, in our internal chat at Android central, I, I joked with the author. I said, you lost me literally halfway through the first sentence, which is as a fan of living in rural Kansas. <laughs> and I'm like, I have to be honest with you, dude. I've never been a fan of living in rural anything, but <laughs> anyway, hey. um, um, but anyway, so there was that, like his review came back, like SpaceX is, actually pretty good and i'm really enjoying my time with it and then uh neilay patel over at it was Neelay, right who did the did the verge yeah Neelay patel um put up starlink at his house he's like "Eh." yeah (laughs) so like it's okay but you know eh." Um, and the the only thing i had against Neelay patel's review was he did say about halfway through the 70,000 words that The Verge usually puts towards a review. He said something to the effect of this was a short-term review, so I didn't put the satellite dish in the absolute optimal spot, so bear that in mind while you read the rest of this. And, like, on one hand I kind of get that, but on the other hand... If you're going to shit on something, you may as well put forth the effort to like make it not shitty. But anyway, so and and you his basic I think though
0: that not everyone that uses this is going to is going to put it in the optimal position. And they are so not. Not. well.
2: <laughs> okay, if you're dropping 500 bucks down and 99 bucks a month for good internet, I I think you're going to want to make it as good as possible. Or am I wrong there or like Am I just like too much of my father's son that like I'm I'm eager to crawl onto the chimney with my ladder? What's funny about it is that
0: they <laughs> they provide almost no guidance too, from what I understand. And I think I read.
2: <laughs> it's kind of like here you yeah, go. Yeah, they have like IKEA like instructions that come with them. Like put red plug into red button, and <laughs> I don't even think there's words actually. If mm. I remember correctly, the Android Central review said there weren't any r- words
0: Basically on the like, instructions, like an IKEA flat pack. You're just like, oh, there's a man.
1: I believe you mean it's been globally translated Um, Mm. that's it Yeah, yeah
2: exactly exactly So, um, but, see, I'm excited about this because, like, you know, I am one of the 1% in America where I actually have, like, four different broadband choices where I live, so, like, I don't have the problem that most of the rest of the country does, but at the same time, I recognize that if you live out in a rural country, and there are people that like living out there, I'm not going to judge them, but I don't think that they should be forced to use shitty internet at the same time, so I'm kind of on board with Starlink and, like, what they want. Want to do, and so I was really excited to start reading the reviews of this of this service, which is just in its beta phase at the at the moment. But um, so I just wanted to you know throw that out there, and and I know actually it's funny because between Cliff and I, you are decidedly more rural than I am, and yet I think your internet like sh- takes my internet's lunch money yeah, like every day. Beneficiary <laughs> of the uh,
0: the Obama era uh, broadband initiatives, where they were giving. Um, you know, uh, what am I trying to say? Uh, subsidies, uh, subsidies. They're, well, they were giving they, out. Con- mon- they were giving money <laughs> to municipalities. They were and, basically and just rolling out rolls of fiber to fiber. Fiber. random exactly. towns. Exactly. <laughs> and so, yeah, I went from. Uh, I think my available internet was about thirty megabits per second down. If you paid the top tier, to uh, and now I have one gigabit down, and I have live in a town with three hundred people. With the option for simultaneous, which is badass. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: <laughs> and it's reasonable. He's I got- think
0: I pay, and this is, I just pay for internet, so
1: there's no content on top of that. But I think it's $90, which is pretty All right. Reasonable. Well, I have a Target, and I can drive to it, and it's like five minutes away, so it's there. <laughs> All right. No, seriously, David, you've never been to his town, but
2: he doesn't even know how to spell Target where he's from. (laughs) Like, the nearest hotel to his house was a 45-minute drive.
0: Target is spelled Walmart.
2: <laughs> it was uh Cliff actually lives in a in a comically small town <laughs> it's actually it's actually uh. rather funny and the fact that he has internet that probably com- is better than both of ours combined is is just a little uh is just a little weird but anyway like so like uh so David do you have any thoughts on like Starlink and on, on the idea of like rural broadband not
1: being crappy and so I like like many things I can bring it to a car analogy but I will say uh, I agree with Nile's uh like Conclusion, which is that Starlink is a byproduct of a broadband infrastructure that has failed rural America. Oh, yeah. And that is why it exists. And that's actually a really bad reason for it to exist. Like, this shouldn't Mm -hmm. have happened in the first place. And to me, that's kind of like, you know, you remember during the Bush era when like flex fuel came around and everybody is like E85, E85, E85. And it's like, well, the fact that E85 is the solution to this problem. Problem really shows that the problem itself has some root causes that we need to address, not that we should come up with a solution to the problem. Like the, <laughs> right. the problem is shouldn't exist in the first place, right? right exactly. That's how I feel about Starlink. And I mean, as I the performance issues I saw in in Eli's review, like with jitter and stuff, like understandably, that's not going to matter as much to somebody in a rural setting where really you're concerned about like getting a good Netflix stream and being able to download large files. That doesn't matter as much. But if mm-hmm. you are trying to position this as a credible alternative to true home broadband, it's obviously not. Um right. jitter and stuff matters a lot for gaming. Um And more intensive real-time applications, like if your ping is bouncing all over the place, like good luck doing anything where real-time connectivity matters. It's just not going to work right. Like I bet, like a live stream podcast, for example, exactly, (laughs) Um, and, and stuff like that. I think like it shows like the real weaknesses to me. It's kind of like you know. Starlink is a guy who has like, does nothing but shoulder day at the gym and his calves are like the size of like toothpicks. Um, and I say that as, as a total fat guy myself, but um, like, it's just like, to me, it's like, it's funny because it's like, well, yeah, you've got one part of this like pretty right. well figured out. It seems like aside from the whole scalability issue, which actually seems to be like the bigger problem. But um, <laughs> in terms of sounds. solving, yeah. In terms of yep. the actual, like, capability of it the the bottleneck of it is very concerning to me mm. I think that it would be a great solution for a lot of rural households especially ones where you know expansion of like uh, cellular networks is very difficult because of terrain mm-hmm. um, which is mm. a real you know a real concern in a lot of places like Appalachia um, where you have lots of hills lots of trees lots of natural barriers that make getting things out there really hard um, mm-hmm. so something like Starlink could really work well for that but to me it is a it is a much narrower use case than just broadband anywhere. That is not what it offers. What it offers is a much, much, much better version of the satellite internet that you can already get that's been brought into basically 2020. It's the concept from way back when but we've made it way less awful than it used to be, which is great. But again, it serves that slice of the population who have these more specific needs, which could probably be addressed if we fix some other things that were kind of fundamental to the broadband problems we have in this country right now. It is interesting that
0: continuously are the Silicon Valley solution to uh, the problems with... um, rural broadband and then in, in third world countries is to put something in the air or in the vacuum
1: yeah. of space. <laughs> I live in Silicon Valley and I have one ISP choice. I pay $90 a month exactly. for gigabit down from Comcast, but I get 40 megs up and that is all I can get because Comcast. Mm. And that's my only option. I pay them $90 a month for that, that wonderful service with a one terabyte data cap. Woo-hoo. My father was, uh, oh, God. my father was Ugh. the
0: CTO of uh, the County where, they, my my parents live in uh until he retired in the last like five years but fighting to get uh competition was one of the things he really pushed and it's almost impossible because um especially when you have a federal or i'm sorry a state government that pushes yep. back against it and that's there's there's so many hurdles that you don't even think about until you start getting into like local and state politics
2: yeah absolutely Oof. Mm-hmm. woof yeah. Meanwhile, I just pick from whoever is cheapest for me. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I've actually been I've been very lucky in that I have a unlimited, no data cap broadband provider here that isn't shitty. Although, actually, for the last month and a half, it's been. Little spotty, but that's why I can. That's I can call them and say, "Hey, I can switch over to these guys or these guys or these guys," and suddenly my internet gets better. Isn't that? Isn't it funny how that works? But okay, <laughs> anyway. Um. So, David, thank you so much for coming on. I, I know we've kept you a little bit longer than oh, I no, said it was fine. going it's to. It's an
1: absolute I- pleasure.
2: And I, well, it, it was a pleasure, and you are joining the ranks of people that I have podcasted with before I actually meet you in person, <laughs> which I think is uh, it's a, it's a very large and distinguished club actually at this point. <laughs> but uh, but uh, hopefully we can rectify that at CES. Oh, one thing I wanted to ask: uh, what's Android Police's position on uh, MWC? I'm kind of
1: curious. Oh, we're not. Are we're not attending? going. I, I'm pretty sure it's going to get canceled at the last minute. <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay. Okay. Well, cons- why? Just because like literally everybody has decided to not go It's there? a game of or- chicken
1: between the Spanish government and everybody organizing the show at this point. And uh, I think the the egg on the face that would be trying to putting, put it on um, will outweigh the very few tourist dollars that Barcelona will pull in from putting it on. Mm. So I think shame will eventually win out
2: okay all right so you're you're not thinking digital you're thinking just canceled altogether i think so huh. okay like, here's all right. infinite well then ces 2022 and- i guess then we'll uh oh. but uh all right cool well uh david now is our time for to roll out the red carpet for you and let you pimp your stuff and let everybody know where they can uh where they can read about you or hear about you or see you or whatever you want to uh whatever you want to brag about
1: you can just follow me on twitter at rdrv3 at your own barrel
2: (laughs) okay fair enough and uh, we can also read your awesome stuff i will say i like it it is it is but i like it i like it so um but uh all right well thank you very much uh david for coming on and uh having a chat with us thank you very much cliff for not only coming on but I'm going to say it again, paying for the privilege to come on and, and chat. And uh, I want to thank uh, everybody who tuned in, albeit briefly on this uh, on this, all the patrons who signed in on this live chat, and for those of you who are listening to the high quality, sup. And uh, that's going to do it for now, and I want to thank you for listening and for giving us the benefit of the Dowd.